Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is Naples Illustrated. I'm sorry, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Trying to do two things at once and don't do it too well. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. And when you go to NaplesIllustrated.com, get on the town. It's a weekly publication right to your email box about great things going on here on the Paradise Coast. We have great guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith will be joining us. We'll also visit with our state... Representative Byron Donalds and Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton will be joining us as well. Uh, Bill Barnett, Naples Mayor Bill Barnett, will be joining us uh, boy, just six days until the election, five days until uh, he finds out if he's reelected. So we'll be speaking with uh, Mayor Bill Barnett as well. It is March the 11th, and on this day in 1933, eight days after his inauguration, President Franklin D. Roosevelt gave his first national radio address or fireside chat broadcast directly from the White House. It's kind of ironic. Just last night we saw a similar type of, it's not a fireside chat, but uh, nevertheless the president uh, again, wanting to assuage the concerns of the American people about the coronavirus, uh, Roosevelt began his address simply by saying, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. He went on to explain his recent decision to close the nation's banks in order to stop a surge in mass withdrawals by panicked investors worried about possible bank failures. The banks would be reopened the next day, Roosevelt said, and he thanked the public for their fortitude and good temper during the quote-unquote banking holiday, he called it. At the time, the U.S. was in the lowest point of the Great Depression, with between 25 and 33 percent of the workforce unemployed. The nation was worried, and Roosevelt's address was designed to ease the fears and to inspire confidence in his leadership. Roosevelt went on to deliver 30 more of these broadcasts between March 1933 and June 1944. They reached an astonishing number of American households, 90 percent of which were owned at radio at the time. A journalist, Robert Trout, coined the phase, phrase fireside chat to describe Roosevelt's radio addresses, invoking an image of a president sitting by a fire in the living room, speaking earnestly to the American people about his hopes and dreams for the nation. In fact, Roosevelt took great care to make sure each address was accessible and understandable to ordinary Americans, regardless of their level of education. He used simple vocabulary and relied on folksy anecdotes or analogies to explain the often complex issues facing the country. Over the course of his historic 12-year presidency, Roosevelt used the chats to build popular support for his groundbreaking New Deal policies in the face of stiff opposition from big business and other groups. After World War II began, he used them to explain his administration's wartime policies to the American people. The success of Roosevelt's chats was evident not only in his three re-elections, but also in the millions of letters that flooded White House uh, administration. 
Farmers, business owners, men, women, rich and poor, most of them expressed the feeling that the president had entered their home and spoken directly to them in an era where president had previously communicated with their citizens mostly exclusively through spokespeople and journalists. It was an unprecedented step, much like I would suggest tweets are for the president, president of the United States, uh, Donald Trump, right now. Nevertheless, things are a lot different. We still have a crisis going on right now, the uh, coronavirus. But we don't have 25 to 33 percent unemployment, and we have a strong economy. We just need to get things back on track and get through this coronavirus scare. Well, yesterday, things changed quite a bit. I mean, the president did uh, uh, reach out to the American people, and in a span of just two hours, Americans heard a stunning series of announcements as the spread of the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, continued. Around 9 p.m., President Trump told the nation from the Oval Office he was calling for a temporary halt on air travel to the United States from Europe, excluding flights from Britain and those carrying cargo, in a bid to contain the virus, uh, spread of the virus. The virus will not have a chance to against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient, President Trump said. Around 10 p.m., actor Tom Hanks revealed he and his wife, Rita Wilson, had tested positive for the virus while they were visiting Australia. Around the same time, the NBA had a stunning announcement. They announced they were suspending its basketball season until further notice after a player at the Utah Jazz tested positive for coronavirus. Then around 11 p.m., New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced the postponement of New York City's St. Patrick's Day Parade a tradition older than America itself. The four announcements came on the same day the World Health Organization declared the outbreak a pandemic and has confirmed U.S. cases topped 1,200 mark and as the nation grappled with a problem for which no clear end was immediately in sight. All around the United States, public gatherings such as conventions, conferences, and concerts, even TV shows with live audiences were being called off or scaled back. And then how about March Madness? The college basketball games will be played with only essential staff and limited family members in attendance. That according to the president of the NCAA. Public tours of the White House and the U.S. Capitol, those were temporarily halted as well. In an abundance of caution, the White House said it was on its phone line for visitor information, the Washington Examiner reported. As early as Thursday, more than 110 nations have reported at least one case of Novo coronavirus. More than 126,000 cases have been reported worldwide, including more than 68,000 recoveries, according to the report. The global death toll uh, stood early Thursday at about 4,600. Still amazing to me and so ironic that we've lost about 20,000 folks to the flu. Difference with the flu? We don't know when this pandemic, this coronavirus, will be over or how it spreads or uh, how, how it will affect us here in the country. President's doing a lot to try and contain it. Three people from Collier County have tested positive for Novell coronavirus, and all are travel-related, according to the State uh, Department of Health. Uh, there's four cases, I believe, in Lee County. The Collier cases are among eight new positive results for COVID-19 in Florida, that according to the public agency. The three cases in Collier involve a 73-year-old, a 60-year-old, 8-year-old woman, and a 64-year-old woman. All three are isolated and will continue to remain isolated until they're cleared by public health officials, according to the state. None are in Collier hospitals, which is a good thing. They're in other places to be quarantined. 
Well, the best way to protect yourself remains common sense guidelines, including hand washing and where appropriate social distancing, quote unquote, working from home for those who are 60 years of old, older and with diabetes, heart disease or lung disease. The government is recommending extra precautions, including avoiding crowds and non-essential travel. Kids and pregnant women are not known to be especially at risk. So we've got to take care. It's all unclear when this is going to end. A lot of people are feeling scared, but one thing we can do is take on basic hygiene techniques to reduce the risk of contracting the respiratory disease and spreading it to those among whom are most at risk. Now, some, unfortunately, and we're talking on the left, want to call it Trump virus, uh, urged a New York Times Times op-ed. Just to be clear, the Democrats are using the COVID to be fearmonger and to blame the president while still calling for open borders. Can you believe that? Let's call it Trump virus, screamed the New York Times op-ed. The soulless party of evil are in a wild downturn spiral to the utter bottom as they furiously work to sink the economy. Trump's travel restrictions began on January 31st. Australia and Singapore instituted their own travel limits the next day. Trump's move brought valuable time to uh, slow the virus spread and ease pressure on the nation's health care system, which they believe, uh, experts believe, is at least 18 months away, the vaccine they're talking about to be developed. But that hasn't stopped the barrage of fake criticisms of uh, including Trump has left the nation dangerously unprepared. I mean, uh, crying Chuck Schumer basically said the uh, president is incapable of handling the situation and he's incompetent. Unbelievable. It's reprehensible to me for the Democrats to make political hay by blaming Trump for the coronavirus, as the op-ed suggested. Trump virus. This is a time I think we can all come together. Wouldn't it be great if we could set aside politics and work on this together? I remember when we were inspired by the president suggesting we should go to the moon. Well, let's fight this virus, this coronavirus, together and rise above politics. Wouldn't that be great? By the way, uh, the United States continues uh, to rely on Chinese-made products, including life-saving pharmaceuticals that combat the coronavirus. And uh, last night uh, on Tucker Carlson, he, he made that point clear, but it's actually our own senator uh, who is working very hard in order to uh, deal with this. Uh, Marco Rubio and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich wrote that America must make rebuilding our domestic supply chain a priority of its own. We just cannot continue uh, to be dependent upon uh, the Chinese for some of the key things, like about 90% of our pharmaceuticals made in China. Can you believe that? I did not know that. So uh, we're going to try and bring all that back to the United States shores. <clears throat> and by the way, as far as Wall Street is concerned, the Dow Jones Industrial Average tumbled 1,464 points yesterday, or 5.9%. It's now in bear market territory. The Dow futures right now are down 1,100, actually 1,200 as I look uh, this morning at about 7 o'clock or 7.10. So it looks like another not-so-good day uh, for the market uh, we'll see how that low this goes. It should re- it should recover quickly once this pandemic is under control. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. 
www.florida-citizens.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents the Florida premiere of a laugh-out-loud comedy, The Lady Demands Satisfaction, running from February the 15th through March the 15th, with preview performances on February the 13th and 14th. Directed by Broadway star and Gulf Shore Playhouse Associate Artistic Director Jeffrey Bender, The Lady Demands Satisfaction tells the comedic tale of hapless heiress Troth as she comes of age. After the untimely death of her noble father, Troth learns that she could lose her inheritance if someone beats her in a duel. The only problem? Troth has never laid so much as a finger on a sword. Her domineering aunt, clever servants, bumbling lawyer, and Prussian swordmaster all add to the chaos and mayhem in this hilarious, swashbuckling spoof of 18th century nobility. Tickets are selling fast and are available now. Single tickets for the Lady Demand Satisfaction start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the Lady Demand Satisfaction is closing this weekend, so you can get tickets now. Go Just go to Golf Shore Playhouse. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Naples Mayor Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Keith Law, co-founder of a terrific organization doing great things to help education in for Florida public schools. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Uh, I did mention it's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Tell us about it. What's it all about? Well, Florida Citizens Alliance is a grassroots uh, coalition of uh, now well over 100 groups across the state. We focus on... uh, uh, well, K through 12 education reform exclusively, and what that means to us is, uh, you know, strongly advocating for the the various scholarship programs uh, that Florida has. We have six, um, and also uh, working really hard to try to get rid of the indoctrination that's in our school systems, uh, all the way from 
you know, the textbooks that uh, er erode uh, our constitutional values uh, in our public schools yeah. to trying to get rid of the pornography that's in our schools. A terrific organization. I'm getting real results. I'm just very pleased. I mean, I can't. Our listening, or we're kind of indifferent, unfortunately, here in Cuyahoga County, perhaps around the state, about the quality of education for our kids. But I think uh, the Florida Citizens Alliance and the work that you're doing is just great things to help improve the situation uh, dramatically. So I understand we had some disappointing news in the uh, House or Senate yesterday. We've been uh, working really hard on the parents' rights bill uh, that was, uh, it has actually passed through all three committees in the House. <clears throat> And it passed last week uh, on the Senate floor or on the House floor. Uh, it got hung up in the Senate, um, and it, it went through two committees. And its third committee, the Rules Committee, uh, Republican Senator Tom Lee um, raised some major objections to it, and apparently uh, his uh, antics were enough to to kill the bill. So, unless something really uh, amazing happens today or tomorrow, which I don't expect, um, the bill has died in the Senate. Which That's, is a real disappointment to us because it's uh, it was a huge uh, bill, a bill declaring that parents' rights trumped uh, government and uh, government agencies. So we're uh, we're disappointed in that, but um, we'll be back next year on it. Well, the parents' rights still trump government agencies, but I think it's important to get it in the law just to remind school systems and others that are dealing with their kids how the system works. It's the parents who make the decisions, uh, not necessarily the school system. It's not the government's kids. It's the parents' kids, quite frankly, and we need to solidify that. So hopefully we'll have some success uh, in the next uh, session, legislative yeah. session. Um, there, was another, there is some good news. Um, a, a bill called the K-12 Scholarship Programs Bill in both the House and the Senate. Um, the Senate, uh, within the last couple of days, adopted the House version that had already passed. And so it's engrossed, which means it's on its way to the the, the governor. Uh, what that uh, what that bill does uh, in 2018, we uh, the, the legislature established a scholarship program called the Family Empowerment Scholarship, uh, slightly different than the tax credit scholarship. Um, the bill actually addresses both of those issues, but it predominantly addresses the the family empowerment. And what it does is it raises the number of students that are eligible for that uh, to from 18,000 to 28,000 mm. and then provides a provision that it can grow uh, 1% or 0.25% of the total uh, kids in public schools. So that means that it can grow at 7,000 per year uh, after this, uh, you know, 2021 year. So it, it uh, is a major step forward. Uh, the thing that we really like about that bill is that uh, it affords low-income families uh, the opportunity to, to uh, put their child in a private school of their choice, but the money comes out of the general education fund. Mm -hmm. um, the tax credit scholarship is funded by businesses who want to get a tax credit. So what this does is really create competition uh, in, in the local schools. If, if, they don't, if they don't improve their act, then they lose the students. So and the funding that goes with it. So yeah. that's, uh, that's something we've been working hard on all along. Yeah, unfortunately, in public schools, uh, you, the quality of education is somewhat dependent upon the zip code. And so what this uh, does is it creates a clear message to schools that are not performing. Either get your act together, a parent's going to take the kids out and put them someplace else. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a major step in the right direction. 
Uh, we're, well, we're we're uh, we're excited about that. Um, actually, would have liked to seen uh, seen it be more aggressive than it is, but it's clearly a major step forward. Um, and um, by way of a little bit of background, the bill was designed originally uh, two years ago, uh, back in 2018-19 legislative cycle, to be a court challenge, with the expectation that the uh, left and the progressives would challenge it, since it was taking money. Uh, out of the, the general education fund. Uh, that didn't occur in large part because DeSantis was elected. And of course, uh, one of the first things he did was, um, you know, replace three liberal Supreme Court justices. So uh, for whatever reason, uh, that law that law has not been challenged yet. Uh-huh. Uh, as it continues to increase, it, they, they, they'll probably find a way to challenge it, but we'll see. So interesting. Before I let you go, uh, just uh, one of the great things that's going on right now is getting rid of the Common Core and replacing it with new standards. I know you've been very active in the process, having input on these new standards. Uh, any update? Uh, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, well, the, uh, they've uh, announced and replaced the Common Core standards in the ELA and math, and uh, your listeners can go to our website and listen to two podcasts by the experts that were involved in that. Uh, they're just really, uh, you'll get a really solid uh, understanding of what happened and uh, why it's so good. Uh, the, the other really good news is we've been working with the uh, Department of Education. This year, they're going to be redoing, uh, revisiting the standards for civics, and they've invited us to participate. Uh, we're actually working to bring a couple of national experts that are very strong in our Constitution and our Judeo-Christian values that we're involved in the development of in our country. So we've been invited to the table, and we're excited about participating in that process as we move forward this year. Yeah, just great news, Keith. I'm so proud of the work that you've done. I, I'll take credit for being one of the founding members of the Florida Citizens Alliance. I remember about eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, you certainly were. <laughs> when we first got together and talked about some of the issues. And just to think about the process where, I, where I'm sure eight years ago you're getting doors slammed in your face and people were pretty short with the, the types of things that you want to talk about up in Tallahassee. Right now you've got key legislators, key people listening and ta- and uh, wanting your input, quite frankly. So it's just a major, major success. And I'm very, again, I want to encourage our listeners to go to the website, goflca.org, goflca.org. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Bob. You and your listeners have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you. Keith is starting us off on the weekend. It would be great if the market closed here for a couple of days. Anyhow, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, uh, Byron Donalds and uh, Mayor Bill Barnett. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in an historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board of the Foundation for Government Accountability. One of the key initiatives, and you've heard a lot about it, I'm sure, is creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks. I'm not talking about single moms. I'm talking about uh, single folks that... uh, Get them off welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. It it helps integrate them back into society, gives purpose, and uh, also, of course, saves a little money, too, uh, taxpayer money. The website is thefga.org, thefga.org. Well, uh, the U.S. – by the way, uh, coming up, I'm going to be visiting with Naples Mayor uh, Bill Barnett. Right now, the U.S. Supreme Court delivered a win to the president on Wednesday, yesterday, by allowing his administration to enforce the Remain in Mexico asylum policy as litigation surrounding it continues. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had said a week earlier that it would block the policy in Arizona and California, the two border states where its authority extends. The Trump administration then turned to the Supreme Court for relief. About 60,000 asylum seekers have been returned to Mexico to wait for their cases to wind through the clogged U.S. immigration courts since the policy was introduced in January 2019 in San Diego and later expanded across the border. So this is the good news. Uh, especially considering the coronavirus, if I, I've never been more impressed with the president's America First policy and so forth, and now we're beginning to see the fruits of his point of view now protecting American citizens in some ways that uh, we never expected just a few years ago when he was elected. Some 150,000 illegal immigrants from 72 nations with cases of the coronavirus have been apprehended or deemed inadmissible for inadmissible from entering the United States since November, raising the ongoing border crisis to a potential public health threat, according to officials. New figures provided to the secrets show that over half of the nearly 300,000 illegal immigrants apprehended or deemed inadmissible this fiscal year came from nations with cases of coronavirus, including China, Italy, Iran, and South Korea. So as you can see, uh, borders 
uh, protection is important. And uh, unbelievably, I heard uh, Bernie Sanders say, you know what, even in spite of the coronavirus, we should have open borders, let people come in. Unbelievable. Now, while acknowledging his deficit to the Democratic race, Bernie Sanders said Wednesday he's pressing ahead with his presidential campaign at least long enough to debate Joe Biden this weekend and try to force him to answer questions about economic inequality and the country's fraying social safety net. The Vermont senator offered no further details on what his campaign may look like before or after he and Biden, the last two major candidates left in the Democratic presidential nomination, spar on Sunday night, this coming Sunday, on a stage in Arizona. And, of course, they'll probably be with no people there. They'll probably televise this thing with, I don't know why they even bother holding it in Arizona if they're not going to have people come in. Anyhow, and what will continue to raise questions as unlikely it may seem less than two weeks after losing his frontrunner status about how long Sanders will persist against increasingly daunting odds. Well, actually, he's only 150 uh, delegates ahead, votes ahead in uh, in uh, in the race for the presidential nomination for the Democrat Party. Sanders addressed reporters after offering no public statements Tuesday night when he suffered a devastating primary defeat in Michigan and losses in Missouri, Idaho, and Mississippi at the hands of Biden. Sanders noted that he won North Dakota and continues to count in Washington State, and that state's uh, count remains very close. But he admitted he was trailing badly, perhaps prohibitively, in the race to secure enough delegates to secure the nomination before the Democrat National Convention in Milwaukee. While our campaign has won the ideological debate, we are losing the debate over electability, Sanders said, meaning Democrats think Biden has a better chance of beating Donald Trump in the fall. And that's what millions of Democrats and independents today believe. Sanders was quick to add that he believes he's the stronger Democrat. He's actually independent, but he makes some good points. At least he's going to stick around to debate Biden. Now, Biden, in my opinion, is probably going to end up surrounding by surrogates, and they're going to be out on the stump. Uh, it's probably not good news for him to talk more than five or ten minutes at, at a time. It'll be interesting to see how he handles this debate on Sunday night with having a full seven minutes to discuss the issues of the day. Uh, he could uh, come out and say that he's running for the Senate. He could say 150 million people have been shot and killed by guns in the last uh, 10 years. He says a lot of stuff that uh, just doesn't make sense. So I think the Democrat Party believe he's the most electable, but they need to protect themselves from his gaffes. He continues to make uh, lots of gaffes. Well, 10 years ago this month, when President Barack Obama was signing Obamacare into law, Vice President Joe Biden said to him in a stage whisper, this is a big effing deal. Well, a decade later, Obamacare has turned into being a failure, <laughs> and Biden is now promising to expand it. Remember, you can keep your plan or your family premiums will go down by $2,500, or how about the claim that Obamacare would cut the number of uninsured in the half and that it would dramatically reduce the federal deficit, and that it would make the healthcare industry more efficient. Remember all that stuff? Well, none of it came true. In the very name of the law, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was an exercise in false advertising, as so many bills are in terms of how they're named. 
affordable. Premiums in the individual market doubled in Obamacare's first four years. The result was that middle of uh, millions of middle-class families found themselves priced out of the insurance market altogether. Patient protection, those who could afford the premiums, faced enormous deductibles for HMO-style plans that strictly limited which doctors they could see in hospitals they could use unless they wanted to pay the entire cost out of pocket. And those who get insurance through work didn't see any savings either. While Obamacare promised the families would see premiums drop by $2,500, they went on up faster in five years after Obamacare than in the five years before. Amazing. Overhead costs now claim a bigger share of national health spending than they did before Obamacare, going from 6.7% to 8.4% in 2018, according to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services. The electronic health records that Obama mandated have made health care less efficient, caused more types of medical errors, and have produced waves of doctors' burnout. Here's another way to gauge the failure of Obamacare. Back in March of 2010, the Congressional Budget Office, which is supposed to be nonpartisan, but in fact employs liberal economic models in everything it does, predicted what health care would look like in the next 10 years under Obamacare. The CBO claimed that there would be 24 million people uh, getting through the Obamacare exchanges by now. The actual number is 9 million, not 24 million insured, but 9 million. It predicts that uh, 51 million would be on Medicaid after Obamacare eligibility or expanded eligibility, and that it was assuming that every state adopted the expansion plan. Today, more than 69 million on Medicaid. That's a 35% more than the CBO projected, even though more than a dozen states refused to expand the program. You can see where all this is going. It's just absolutely centralized medicine is just not working. I think the most important thing we've heard here is, number one, the availability, doctors having to use these medical records. What I see with doctors' behavior is they're seeing their patients, spending less time with them, uh, immediately going to the prescription, writing, a, writing a, 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 a prescription for whatever ails uh, the patient, and then moving on to the next patient, now also taking time to get on the computer and update everything and what they saw. Obamacare's subsidy costs are far higher than promised. Instead of an average of 6000 for those getting Obamacare subsidies and exchanges, the actual number tops $7,700. So uh, we need to get back to uh, patient-centric health care, everybody having skin in the game, being concerned not only about quality but also about costs, and uh, then uh, getting uh, deep uh, getting uh, catastrophic health care plans with uh, health savings plans. That's what I think would solve, help solve the problem and drive costs down substantially. Right now with third-party payers, nobody pays attention to the cost of, of uh, care. And the consequence? Higher and higher costs. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. He's overwhelmed. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Naples Mayor Bill Barnett, up for re-election on March the 17th. Right now we have with us... Uh, Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of a terrific organization. It's called Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. Thank, tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government. Um, I'd like to start with the uh, Collier County uh, house, Housing uh, Department. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having, having some tough times with them, are you? Well, I, oh my God! It, it's been an odyssey of stupidity. Yes, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, let's talk about your latest column. It's called "Google Stole Android and Probably Made a Trillion. They Should Pay Oracle Nine Billion. Now, this is such an interesting story. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, this started way back. Okay, we have to go all the way back to 2007. Uh, Sun Microsystems owned what's what's called an open source uh, platform called Java. Right. And Google, the way open source platforms are supposed to work is, if you use it, it, what it is, it allows you to skip some some rudimentary steps in building software. Um, you know, it's 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 it, it's lines of code that are basic, f- foundational stuff. And rather than reinventing the wheel, you can use the open source, uh, you know, the Java open source. Mm-hmm. The only exchange is what you make with it has to be contributed back to the community. Or you get a license. You know, if you want to use it proprietarily, you have to get a license, and sometimes Java charges for it, sometimes they don't. Um, Google in 2007 used 16 what are called APIs. I'm not going to bore everybody with what that is, but it's, yep. 
it's code from the from from Java. And then they, they use it to make Android, which is now the number one operating system on the planet. Like 38% of the world's devices use Android. 51-plus hmm. percent of American devices use Android. And they used it. They, uh, they obviously didn't make it, you know, available to everybody. They closed it off. They, they applied for some licenses from, from Java. And then just stopped and said, screw it, we're not going to do it. Because that's, that's the Google business model. We're, you know, we're huge. You come and, ch- you know, you come and take it from us. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2010, Google built the Android in 07. 2010, Oracle uh, purchased Java from Sun Microsystems and said, wait a minute. You, you're starting to make a lot of money with this Android thing. Yep. You should probably pay us for, for, you know, for the foundational building blocks we gave you with with java and of course google's been fighting in court ever since We're, you know this is now 2020 this law started in 2010 right and they've been ping-ponging back and forth java i mean uh, oracle would get a favorable ruling so then google would appeal and then google would get a favorable ruling oracle would appeal they've now gone toward oracles up they have a, a favorable ruling uh, uh, uh the, the latest favorable ruling and we're going to the supreme court and this is considered a really tra- uh, transcendental case because this is going to de- eviscerate open source platforms if the Supreme Court rules with Google. Because why on earth would you offer open source platforms if this can happen to you? Right. Well, um, so th- that's what's going on. And, um, you know, the reason I say a trillion dollars, of course, it's an estimate. I didn't sit down and actually compute 13 years worth of business for Google's Android. But as we know, you know, Google, of course, sells Android devices, which is money, but that's chicken feed compared to what they make because, of course, we all know Google's business model is data collection and then sale to advertisers. Right. And, and you can imagine if 37% of the planet is using Android devices, how much data have they collected and then sold to advertisers? I mean, it's got to be a trillion dollars in 13 years. Yep. So all Oracle is asking for is not even $9 billion in the headline. It's eight point eight billion, mm-hmm. which is a cheap parking ticket in the in the grand scheme of Android things. So I, I, that's that's kind of the premise of what's going on. Well, and of course it's uh, it's not a parking ticket to I'm sure to Oracle. That's a lot of that's a lot of tamales. I'm sure they'd like to win this well, case. You know, Oracle's like one fifth the size of Google. Yeah. Now they're they're not a tiny. Normally Google picks on people that are so small they can't hope to fight back. At least Oracle has you know some wherewithal. To, to fight back and thank God they are, um, but yes, it's 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 a lot of money. But here's you know, here's the I thing: mean, imagine uh, what that can, what they can do with eight point eight billion in enhancing Java for everybody else. I mean that's that's what the purpose of the license is is to you know because it, it costs money to maintain Java, it costs money to update and improve Java. Yeah, and Google just took it and took off. So it's of course money like that can do a lot of good things. Including imp- vastly improved Java for everybody. Yeah, but the other but the other part of this uh, Seton is the fact that uh, they violated the terms of the use of the product and uh, thereby just uh, it, it's stealing is what it amounts to. And uh, they have it's, it's stealing. It, it, you know, like I said, there's there's two. Op- you know, a lot of the times if you ask for a license, um, Oracle will examine what you've done with it and say, you know what, 
you're not going to make a ton of money off this, and we're not going to ask you for anything. They give a lot of licenses away off the job or building blocks for free. Right. Obviously, Google didn't build a little small thing with Java. They built the number one operating system on planet Earth. So I think a little compensation may be in order. Yeah. Well, and uh, just to protect the rights of Oracle to to be able to do what they do. Because the other part of this, just to make sure to underscore what you said, they were supposed to leave their system, or they first of all apply for the license and be accepted, but second of all, leave the system open so others could have used what has been developed. They didn't do that. They right. They, right. Cl- they closed That's the it. other half of the open source community. You get access to this, but then everyone get access, gets access to what you developed with this. And by the way, just to remind everybody, Sun Microsystems developed Java. Oracle paid a lot of money to get Java. Mm-hmm. And they, so, you know, that costs them money. Why should Google get away scot-free when using what, what uh, Oracle paid for from Sun Microsystems? Great. You know, I just really appreciate you bringing this to our attention. I would like to underscore something else that just came to my mind is we have this judge who basically is saying, what's happening to our court system? Uh, it's being ruined by conservatives. <laughs> Some Clinton-appointed judge in the uh, federal judge is uh, lamenting the fact that right now we don't have activist judges on the board. He's calling the conservatives actually a- activists. So it's just well, bizarre. Yeah, yeah I, I wrote about that a week or so ago. There is no such thing as a conservative activist judge. That's right. What they're saying is, you're as a conservative judge are overturning a ridiculous anti-constitutional ruling that a leftist judge made. Right. That's not judicial activism. That's a restoration of judicial restraint. Right. That is not activism. That is, a, that is correcting activism in the past. For example, even the most uh, virulent abortion advocates kind of have to admit that Roe v. Wade was terrible jurisprudence. It was absolutely awful. Right. But, um, you know, overturning that ruling is not judicial activism. The the ruling itself was judicial activism. What they're dealing with now, if if you clean up the mess, is is a return to judicial restraint, where you're returning to adherence to the Constitution and the laws as written. Well, and you know that the stare decisis, the, the whole notion of having a precedent and uh, following with previous decisions, I think it's really important that Justice Thomas, for example, said that, you know what, maybe that's not so important. Maybe we ought to try and correct past wrongs. It's totally unimportant. Why is it wedded to, to what some, you know, humans are fallible. You, 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 you can't be wedded to precedent because it, what if the precedent was awful? I mean, what I always ask people who, are, who demand a fealty to precedent, I say, what, you want to go back to Brown Board's Board of Education? That right. was overturned. Yeah. I mean, that was overturned by a later ruling. You want to go back to that? You know, there's all kinds of bad rulings you can look at from both sides and say, well, that was a dumb ruling, and I want to overturn that. That's a now, good... the reason the left says a ruling is dumb is because it doesn't get the personal policy preference they want, outcome that they want. Right. We, when we say a ruling is dumb, we say, this has no bearing on the Constitution and the law is written. We, we, that's crazy. Right. So, yeah, there's no such thing as judicial activism. There's no such thing as progressive federalism. <laughs> right. Seat Motley, again, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, always appreciate your animated, animated and interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Bill Barnett, the mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, uh, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Bill Barnett, Naples Mayor Bill Barnett. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, it's always a, always a pleasure to... Uh, to be with you on a Thursday morning. It is uh, Thursday. So the election's just a few days away. Any uh, any good scoop? Well, it's you know, Bob, it's 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 um it's ugly. Mm. Um they're still throwing out fake news as uh, as President Trump says, mm. uh and lots of it. Um but um it looks good. We had, you know, there's been um, a, consider, um, a considerable amount of early voters. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's averaging probably about 350 a day, maybe a little less at the polls down on uh, at North Center for early voting for the city. Um, and um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and praying that um, people will still get out to vote wow. um, on Tuesday. It's important. It's really important, and uh, I definitely support your candidacy. I've supported you since I've known you. You've been a guest on this show, I think, for well over 10 years. 
and uh, just I lost track of how many years. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I always appreciate your commentary. Now that we ha- we have this. Uh, oh, by the way, go to BillBarnettForMayor.com as the website. BillBarnettForMayor.com. In the final days here, uh, just vote for Bill. That's the that's the key right now. Is uh, get the vote out and uh, encourage your friends to vote as well. If you live in the confines of uh, Naples. Uh, uh, Florida. So uh, this coronavirus is affecting a lot of things going on around the country. Uh, any decisions in the city level? Well, well, you know, we do, we have a um, uh, lots of decisions. I mean, there are. We put out a bulletin yesterday. We've canceled events, uh, meetings, um, um, lots of. Uh, uh, um, you know, I mean, there's a whole major list, Bob, uh, and, you know, including employee travel. Um, if you've been traveling and you're, you've been out of the country, come back, go to work, but not, you can work from home, you'll get paid, you'll be on administrative leave. Um, but we're going to, we're taking every, every precaution we can with the city and our employees. That's great. I mean, I read this morning in the paper that there's a three cases in Collier County right now, uh, and all related to travel. Travel-related, they're people that are over the age of 60, so you got to be concerned about their health. But apparently they're doing well. Uh, but, they, you know, we need to isolate this so it doesn't get to other people. We just don't want to have the type of thing that's going on in Seattle, Washington. Right, right, I- exactly, exactly. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think... That and there are there is good news too. I mean, and I, I like what President Trump said last night. I um, I I also think that the, they're starting to see a decrease in the in the virus in like in China and other places. And I think that uh, as, as he said, we've got the best best health care in the whole world. Yeah, and um, you catch it. I think that even they said very few are going to be affected. I mean, you know, seriously affected. Yeah, well, so. You have to really look at the numbers. They're they're minuscule right. when you when you really look at them across the U.S. And they're you know I saw the NBA cancel the season today. I mean they're they're going to take every every precaution. They are, and uh, again with the problem is we just don't know how long this thing can last. Uh, I guess the Spanish flu, which happened in nineteen eighteen. Uh, when it came to yeah. the United States, it's something like 55 million people worldwide were killed by that by that particular virus. So it can't get out of hand, and you got to control it. And uh, you know, we just got to get things, just play it safe. That's the key for each and every individual. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be attending as many meetings as I used to. Well, no, I mean we, you know, I'm uh, we're we're kind of working the polls these days down at the Norris Center, and yeah. um. You know, <laughs> excuse me. Certainly, business as usual at City Hall, um, but we don't have any meetings, and anything that was that was scheduled was was canceled. Yeah, um, we didn't have any council meetings anyway. So, yeah, I, I said, found myself sitting. So, uh, you know, other than that, as I say, look, we uh, we'll watch, we'll be careful. I don't know what the big thing is with toilet paper. I haven't figured <laughs> it out yet. It's it's, it's, it's absolutely absurd um, because. It's, this is not. Um, this isn't a diarrhea virus, first of all. And uh, somebody <laughs> said on the news last night that it makes people feel comfortable to have toilet paper. Well, geez. Yeah. yeah. You know, how about those of us that, that use it and uh, can't buy it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's exactly right. It's an interesting behavior, the hoarding that could go on during these times. Uh, and, yeah. you know, there's a rifle, rifle concern. I mean, the supply chains are going to be interrupted. Uh, getting stuff by truck from wherever to, for example, Whole Foods, it's, uh, you know, things can happen. So uh, right. people do need to make sure they've got some of the things stocked up. But <laughs> having... Right, right, co- exactly. Cornering, exactly. Cornering the market on toilet paper, that makes no... <laughs> No sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I just don't. I don't. I don't get that one at all. Yeah. But you know, hey, uh, <laughs> eventually they'll get it back in supply when people realize what the heck are we going to do with all this uh, uh, with all this uh, uh, toilet paper. That's right. So uh, I would imagine things are pretty slow. Everybody's waiting for the election results so that people can get back to business. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, def- definitely, um, and it is. But uh, business is, is still going on. We're still in season, you know. Um, restaurants are still doing well, and um, uh, people have to eat. And you know, as I say, they're careful. They're washing their hands. Uh, um, I haven't seen any. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a drop off, but people aren't necessarily going home. No, I mean, I mean? Uh, tourism looks pretty pretty uh, rigorous right now. The st- oh, streets yeah. are it, still it busy. Is, and I think it's going to stay that way. I mean, would you cancel your plans to go out to dinner or anything like that because of what's going oh, on? Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. You no, know. no, absolutely not. I mean, um, no, I, 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 I wouldn't. Uh, and I don't think anybody else is either. I would um, agree. So, I mean, this hopefully... Uh, uh, we're, we're looking forward to March the 17th to get this election passed uh, past us right now. And again, I'm pulling for the incumbents as well as for you, Mr. Mayor. So hopefully right. hopefully this will all end on a positive note. I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Bob, um, um, thanks for having me, and uh, we'll keep you in the loop and uh, speak to you next week. Absolutely, and I'll look forward to seeing you on election night. Thanks so much. For sure. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Well, that's a wrap here on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we talked a little bit about Obamacare and what's going on. And again, back to that, uh, uh, with the Democrats, what they want to offer us is more government and uh the, the answer uh, to government failure is always more government when it comes to the Democrats. So hopefully we'll put that all behind us. Uh, <clears throat> now, one other thing that I wanted to mention to you, what's happening right now is the uh, Clinton effect. Uh, Bernie Sanders did really well against uh, Hillary Clinton last year, but uh, he's not doing as well against Joe Biden. And what's the reason? Well, I think it's because people did not like Hillary Clinton. Uh, and he, Joe Biden is more likable, even though he's got serious problems with his uh, mental acuity. But the other thing that's happening right now is the youth vote. It's not coming out. Uh, while people, young people support Bernie Sanders, they're not showing up at the polls. And the consequence of that is that he's doing poorly uh, in the exit polls. Uh, young people, only 13% of Democratic voters in the Super Tuesday primaries are between the ages of 18 and 29. That's 10 percentage points fewer than likely voters, the 30 to 44 age group, which made up 23% of the vote. So voters at the ages of 45 to 64 came in at 35%, while voters 65 and over hit 29%. So as you can see, the young people are not showing up at the polls, and the consequence of that is could be problems uh, for uh, Bernie Sanders. 
Well, looking forward to the debate on Sunday night, and hopefully Joe will keep his act together and uh, not hit many gaffes, which I think he's very gaff-prone. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I always appreciate your feedback. You can send me an email at bobhardnetthotmail.com, bobhardnetthotmail.com. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we're going to visit with William Yateman. Uh, William is a uh, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Sharon Kenny, the author of Where Should We Eat? She uh, writes commentary or dining, travel, and entertainment. It be interesting to get her point of view tomorrow. And we'll also visit with Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. I always look forward to his feedback as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>